Hey, everybody, and welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with uh, Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm your host, Father John. I am the executive director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church. And a little bit different today. I've got Nick and Mary in the room, but I took the microphones away from them. Sorry, guys, uh, as I'm looking at them. And we have a very special guest with us today. His name's uh, Commander Kevin Haney. Commander, it's good to have you with us, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Father. It's great to be here. So we have uh, Commander Haney in, so I'm going to let him tell us a little bit about himself. This is just a really, really inspiring man. And we've brought him in because uh, Nick and Mary, myself, Deacon Steve, Chris, we started uh, in Acts 29 a couple of months ago now, uh, what we call the Acts 29 Apostolic Academy for Priests. So we've started it primarily here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, but we've got a smattering of guys in the Diocese of Lansing and a few other dioceses that are joining us as well. And it's really intended to pour into our brothers just to try to gather them together, pray with them. Uh, we have some fellowship and food, and then to do some, some formation, some teaching, some sharing about leading in this time that we're living in right now, this transition from Christendom to apostolic. And we've talked in the past on other episodes about that, uh, that really extraordinary book called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And uh, so we brought Commander Haney in because... The last time we got together in the academy, we kind of gave an overview to the brothers of this transition that we're living in. And today, uh, this evening, as we're recording this, he's going to be addressing the men, because one of the insights that the author makes in the book is that the greatest temptation in an apostolic age is cowardice. And therefore, uh, one of the most urgent needs in this uh, day that we're living in is courage. And so I don't know anybody uh, personally in my life who can speak more to both physical and moral courage than Commander Haney. So, um, Commander, can I just ask you, uh, brag about yourself for us, like give, give everybody who's listening a feel for where, what, where you've come from, what you've done, and why is it that you are, um, in my words, not yours, um, the most credible person I can think of to speak to the guys uh, about courage. Okay, well, thanks, Father, for making me do what I hate to do. But I uh, graduated from the United States Naval Academy in 1981, uh, got my wings of gold down in Pensacola, Florida in 1983, and joined a fighter squadron, my first fighter squadron in 1984, and uh, deployed with that squadron, normal peacetime cruise, got to see the Mediterranean in the summer, uh, went and taught guys how to fly the F-14 Tomcat, uh, the backseater, and was over at the... Fleet Replacement Squadron, Fighter Squadron 101 for three years. And then in mid-1990, I transferred to Fighter Squadron 32, and I was there until uh, 1993, but obviously in, in the interregnum, the war broke out. So I right. uh, flew in Iraq uh, from uh, 90 through 91, from the beginning of the war to the end, and then came home, was home for about 10 months, and then redeployed again to uh, the Yugoslavia area which was formerly Yugoslavia, and got to participate once again in uh, combat operations. So uh, those are my, my flying experiences. I've also uh, done numerous staff, Central Command staff down in Florida, uh, graduate school up in Boston at Tufts, then uh, off to Air Operations Officer on the USS John C. Stennis in San Diego. Uh, I taught at the Naval Academy for 
about uh, 17 years. And what did you teach at the academy? I taught political science, international relations, and then my last nine years there, I taught uh, leadership and ethics as hmm. a civilian professor. Hmm. And two years, I went over to the Air Force Academy on exchange. Fantastic. Thanks, brother. I, so you and I have talked uh, a number of times uh, offline. We've had a chance to know each other for a set of years now and text each other back and forth oftentimes during football games or basketball games or most especially Yankee games. You're a, a kindred spirit with me there. Um, but one of the things I just want to say, uh, I've always found it to be uh, one of the most moving ceremonies in a funeral as a priest when uh, we honor a veteran and we hand the flag back to the surviving spouse. And I'm always just... Uh, disappointed that we never get to say it as often as we can and should to those of you who have uh, defended our country. So uh, on behalf of everybody who's listening, uh, on behalf of a grateful nation, brother, thank you for uh, for all that you have done and been uh, for us in our country. Thanks. Well, thanks. And a shout out to my dad and my brother who are both veterans, as well as your dad. God rest his soul. Yeah, amen. Got that flag. Uh, it's uh, actually in my sister's possession that uh, he was a World War II vet. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight with the guys about courage. And so I'm going to, if I can, I want to ask you a set of questions. This is a lot of the material that we want to share with the folks tonight. And, but everybody who's listening. So we got some priests who are listening, who are pastors or associates. we got a few bishops who listen. Moms and dads are the most important leaders that we got, right? we got some politicians. we got people who are um, running businesses and whatnot. We all have leadership positions at different levels. So I, I pray this is just going to be really helpful for people. You speak often about... Um, the importance of knowing the mission and having clarity about the mission before we even get to courage. Speak about that, would you? Yeah. Everything in the armed forces is about mission. And from the lowest level to the very top level, all the way from the junior enlisted man to the most senior person in the armed forces, is we have to know what our mission is. And everything drives towards that goal the accomplishment of that goal. And if we're not specific about what that mission is, we don't plan well for it, then we're, we're going to fail. And so it's really important for us to work together as a team to know what our role is in the accomplishment of that mission. And then once we know that, we support each other to get to accomplishment. So, I mean, when you and I talked about you potentially coming in for tonight, uh, we were talking about the topic, and you just went, yeah, it's the mission, the mission, the mission, right? Yeah, really, yes. And, and so we've talked oftentimes, Mary and Nick and I, um, both on the podcast episodes, and then when we're out uh, with either priests or lay leaders in general, there seems to be a remarkable lack of clarity about the mission of the church right now. And so we, we've tried to um, just emphasize four words. We might add a fifth one that we would say right now. So the mission of the church is, as we would say, to be agents of recreation or transformation or leaders of the resistance or agents of sabotage, more provocatively, um, with the right weapons, just to make sure nobody misunderstands what we're saying. Um, the weapons are goodness and truth and beauty and dignity and character and reconciliation and all that. And and Mary uh, went through a retreat recently, and, and I did too, uh, and we would we might add the word healing those, those things all have to do with the mission. So that's our mission. So given that, let's talk about courage. So can you define courage as, as, as you see it? How would you define courage? Courage is the ability to act well under extraordinary duress <laughs> and to go through that and accomplish the mission. So it could be 
the mission of an organization that is experiencing tremendous difficulty with its economic situation because of COVID-19. It may be a young Marine captain who has to take his platoon over to Hill X and accomplish the acquisition of Hill X, even though there's significant um, resistance to that. Hmm. And there are very, very fraught, it's fraught with uh, danger and people can lose lives. People can lose livelihoods in the economic world. And as a leader in charge of the accomplishment of that mission, you take those things into consideration, but they cannot become overwhelming. They, they are ancillary to the entire mission accomplishment. The mission accomplishment is everything. Yeah. And you, you must accomplish the mission. And you know we've had that talk about Joshua Chamberlain and his mission was to hold the line. In the Civil War, right? Civil Gettysburg. Gettysburg. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I always think, too, we're, we're going to give the guys tonight, there's an excerpt from um, Joseph Pieper's The Cardinal Virtues, and he, I think the way, I think it's Aristotle who defines it this way, but you'll correct me if it's not, um, given the guy who taught leadership for all those years at the Naval Academy. Um, I've always loved this definition. Courage is the willingness to fall in battle. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So, so sometimes people have the impression that courage means I'm not afraid. But that's not true, right? No, absolutely not. I don't have any combat missions where I wasn't afraid. So what's the relationship between courage and fear? You have to overcome the fear. The fear is going to be there. It's just a question. I'm not going to let the fear dominate. What I'm going to let dominate me is the accomplishment of the mission, whether it's getting to a target, but also the accomplishment means I'm going to go to the target, accomplish what I set out to do, and then I'm bringing everybody back. Yeah. And huh. that's what I want to do, knowing full well that I probably won't bring everybody back, but I'm going to do everything in my power to do it within the confines of accomplishing the mission. I'm not going to sacrifice the mission to make the secondary happen. Love it. I know last week in our episode, uh, Nick and Mary, we were talking about that passage in the gospel when uh, the disciples are at sea, and it's one of the many times when Jesus says, in this case, he says, why are you afraid uh, although sometimes it's uh, oftentimes do not be afraid. And we just said, like, the Lord's command is not, do, why, why do you have the emotion of fear? I mean, that's a kind of a no-brainer, like the boat is going down, right? Um, but it's really a rebuke. Why are you being overcome by fear? And so I, I just love the distinction that you make, that there's a—courage presumes fear, right? Without fear, there is no— Need for courage. Exactly, yeah. And so I think oftentimes people just don't get that. It's, it, it means I'm impervious to fear or – and actually some people um, are rather reckless and they're not courageous. They're just actually downright stupid, aren't yeah. they? In uh, naval aviation, we used to disqualify people for what we called no apparent fear of death. Oh, I love it. Recklessness. Yeah, sure. Yeah, helpful to hear. So fear and courage, they work together. Courage overcomes the fear, continues to maintain uh, the importance of doing the right thing, even in the midst of the fear. Huh? Absolutely. So you, you're going to talk tonight a little bit about there's, uh, there's a distinction between two different types of courage. I love this. Can you just name those and then speak a little bit yeah, about we, that? We talk about physical courage and moral, moral courage. And the physical courage is the assumption that I will go into battle, that I will take my arms and I will engage the enemy where I find him and win that battle where people can get hurt, people can lose their lives, uh, get maimed and all those sorts of things that we, we understand. That's just the nature of what we do. The other side, though, is the moral courage. Mm -hmm. And all too often, 
the physical is assumed. The moral is probably the harder of the two. I used to talk to the midshipmen all the time and tell them, you've already come to this why in the road. It happens to you quite quickly where you realize I now have a moral dilemma. I have to make a choice, and I have to make a hard choice. The easy choice is all too often the wrong choice. Hmm. Um, the hard choice is most likely the right choice because you're probably going to annoy people. And God forbid, you might have people who no longer like you. And when leaders are afraid to not be liked or when they focus on only being liked, they're very, very susceptible to making very bad choices in hmm. the moral realm. Hmm. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier offline, uh, yourself and me and Nick and Mary. We were just talking about... Uh, Nobody in the military, I would imagine, at least as you're going out into a mission, is really all that preoccupied with being liked. No. Yeah. No. And, and in the church, <laughs> it seems to be a preoccupation. It's just kind of ridiculous. You know, I mean, nobody likes to be disliked. I mean, I don't like to be disliked. But it's really not about being liked. It's about doing the right thing. Huh? It's about leading in the way that uh, accomplishes the mission, which in our case, uh, the Lord Jesus has given to us in the church. Um, so I just love uh, I love the perspective that you bring into this. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about um, three applications, if you will, of courage. So uh, the first application would be, I want to ask you, like, how do you, what, what did you have to do when you'd be preparing to go up into the air, huh, to engage in combat? Like, how did you maintain, cultivate courage going into that situation personally, like on just yourself and prayer and meditation, reflection, whatever, how did you muster up the courage to do what you did? A lot of things, but first and foremost, I will tell you it was faith. I, I was at mass every day uh, that I could go if the schedule allowed for it um, and offer up my prayers to God. And almost always, as much as I can remember, I always said, don't let me screw this up. <laughs> I never asked for my own life. I just asked, don't let me mess this up. The assumption being if I didn't mess it up, I was probably coming home. But the, uh, the way you mustered up is training, planning for it, thinking about how mm. you're going to operate. But I think most importantly, it's the camaraderie. The brotherhood at the time, it was just men flying in combat at that time. But now the brothers and sisters in squadrons are very close. The squadron environment, and I know it's this way in the platoons, it's this way in every unit, the camaraderie among the unit is extraordinarily high. It's very much like a family, and you don't want to let your brothers and sisters down. Yeah. You would rather die yourself than do that. And so that makes it much more palatable to cross the border and take on the, the missiles. Yeah, so you, you just brought us right to that second application, right, which is the role of others or the role that you play for one another in maintaining courage. Now, I want to go back to that first one real quick only because um, in my mind is the importance of, I'm, I'm thinking of families especially, you know, husbands and wives, maybe you got small kids at home or you got teenagers, even more difficult, right? So the importance of prayer, planning, like thinking out, like what is the mission right now for us in the midst of the culture that we're living in right now, just to ask the Lord, Lord, what's what's the plan right now? What's the mission? What's the what's the goal? What's the agenda? This next could be the next six months. Could be this 
could be this week, could be this weekend for some people, right? Um, so the importance of that, and then certainly, again, with uh, marriage and family, uh, to that second application of courage, the role that we we have for one another to be courageous. So it could be, could be a husband and wife, could be priests working in unison with each other, could be uh, men and women in a who who happen to serve in the same uh, business or whatnot, who know, especially in the midst of the culture that we're living in right now, which is becoming increasingly either ignorant of or hostile to the gospel. So speak speak more if you would about how important that fraternity was in just helping you know I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. The It was everything. I can't overemphasize it. If I didn't have my brothers in arms with me, supporting me, even when I made mistakes, and they would correct me because we should correct, but they would do it with love. They would do it professionally. But it was so that we could operate better as a team. You knew why it was being done. Uh, absent those other men and brothers, I don't know how we get through it, Yeah, frankly. It's whether it be successful, but also be sane. Because one of the pilots I flew with quite a bit, also a Catholic, my daughter's godfather, he and I would spend a lot of time together when we got that rare moment where we could actually not think about the war or think about flying and planning was... We could sit down and smoke a cigar back when we could do that and talk about the Lord Hmm. and how he was sustaining us through this and Hmm. how grateful we were. But without those, that brotherhood, I don't think we get by. Um, I mean, there were difficult periods. We had a difficult time with one young man who just struggled. He, He just could not generate the personal courage to go into combat and, and that was okay. And we, you know, we accepted that. We, we didn't want to put him at risk and certainly didn't want to put the rest of the team at risk. But um, wasn't ostracized. Yeah, right. right? We right. were still his brothers. Right. But we just, we understood what happened. So I'm hearing you speak and I'm thinking, like, how how, how just kind of asinine it would be to, to go up into the sky on your own with no other planes. I mean, you'd just be a sitting duck, right? You got no protection, no defense, no, no right or left uh, arm, if you will. And yet in the church, I'm thinking of priests especially, uh, very much myself included, how often we try to do things on our own. Like there's no such thing as a lone ranger fighter pilot. That doesn't work. Uh, We talk about mutual support. That's our tactical term for it. And we always have to have mutual support. We never get too far away from each other. We're never more than about a mile away from each other and we can see each other. Yeah. Um, And then we know through electronics where each other are. And we're not going to leave anybody hanging out. We'll do whatever we can to maneuver to make sure that we're supporting each other mutually. So to do it by myself, there's no way. It doesn't it doesn't work. I'm in combat you're gonna get killed. Right. Uh, you're certainly not gonna accomplish your mission because you can't accomplish a mission if you get killed before you do it. And it just doesn't make any sense. Everything we do, whether it's soldiers on the ground, aviators, ships, everything's done to support each other mutually and develop this brotherhood and sisterhood now, this professional bond that will not let the other one fail. Right. We just can't let, the failure's not an option. We just simply can't allow failure to be part of the equation. And so we're going to do whatever we can to help each other out. And I used to tell you, you asked me this question earlier today, and my, my greatest prayer was, I, you know, don't, don't let me do something that's going to hurt somebody else. Right, right. I don't care about me right now. I'm worried about these people I have to lead into combat. 
And so the church's mission is to uh, go to battle against the powers of sin and death and hell and Satan, and we're going alone. I mean, just like, what in the world are we thinking? Yeah, you're not going to win that one, right? So the enemy would just love, he loves to isolate, Mm -hmm. loves to separate, loves to pick off one by one. So, uh, you know, just a gentle exhortation to uh, my brothers and to myself, you know, in the priesthood, like, Guys, let's just not be stupid. Let's make sure that we've got guys, uh, both both brother priests that we're that we're really in, uh, in close contact with, but also just men and women who really support us, can encourage us, because we cannot do this alone. Similar exhortation to uh, to couples, especially with kids. Like you're not gonna be able to do this on your own. We've got to. You, you not only got to be on the same page as husband and wife, but um, all the more so. Let's just make sure we've got other families. Mm-hmm that we're doing this arm in arm with, because again, we're just going to be sitting ducks, you know, like how many times do kids say to their parents, we're the only family that does this. It's like, no, you're not, you know, at least you shouldn't be. So find those people, ask and ask the Lord, Lord, bring into my path, uh, into my, into my orbit, other families who love you, who, who desire to, to raise uh, heroic, noble men and women of courage and integrity and character. So uh, just all the more important. Last application. Um, Speak, if you will, about... uh, So I'm thinking of your role either working with younger pilots or your role in uh, in the academy when you were teaching. Like, what's the role of a leader uh, in instilling courage into the people that he's responsible for? Like, how do you do that? So I'm, I'm thinking of a priest right now in a particular way. He's got a parish he's caring for, and he's also trying to reach the people who are not in the parish. It looks—it uh, doesn't look, it is. I mean, the culture is clearly growing in animosity towards the church and towards Christianity. Um, if I'm a pastor, I clearly have a responsibility to prepare them for what's coming and to instill into them courage. What could you share with us? Like, what's the role of a leader— in, in helping the people um, understand what they're heading into and grow in courage. Talk to us about that. Well, a couple of things. One, Sirach 2, which you have introduced many times, but also your example. What, what example are you willing to set? What sacrifices are you willing to make to, to show the people who you're responsible for that, yes, it's hard, it's frightening, but the end reward is beyond our ability to explain. So for us to, to teach and to train and to develop young officers, we did that correction. Hmm. And correction, if it's done the right way, will enhance learning and understanding. We're asking, I think, too much for our priests right now as Lone Rangers to do that and parents to do those things alone. Like you said, if you don't have fraternity to learn from each other, to share experiences with each other, the odds of you being successful are not very good. Hmm. There's a reason teams are so successful. Teams work, right? Everybody has individual roles, specialized roles. They're very good at it. And so parents, just like the St. Paul said, right, everybody has different gifts in the spirit. And the fathers and mothers and, and have these different 
talents that they bring to the table and our priests do the same thing. And I think a lot of times as we've thought about this and I've listened to some of your podcasts with Acts 29, we feel like, I feel like we're putting, trying to drive the square peg into the round hole. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are very, very good administrators. Some people are very good proclaimers of the gospel but not good administrators why are we trying to make them be good administrators right so there's there's a lot of that going on and we can't do it alone I, i think the most important thing for us as military officers for our people to instill courage in them was to talk to them about what it is like to be in the throes of combat um that when i went to weapons school um, Top Gun for the most people will understand and I, I have to put the plug in the movies uh, nothing like the school <laughs> just have to throw that in there but Kenny Loggins didn't sing a soundtrack when you were uh, up in the air and I didn't have a motorcycle oh man just shattered all my dreams and there were no hanger lectures and uh, cowboy boots or hats and uh, but one of the things that they taught us and it's so true is when you go into combat, your usable brain material is going to go down to about 10%. Hmm. So the 10% that is operating well needs to operate on instinct or training. And that's what happens. It kicks in. And all of those conversations that we've had and all of those debriefs that we've had over the long haul to get us ready for this, yes, we're afraid. Hmm. I don't know anybody that I flew with. I don't know anybody who's been shot at. Uh, my son-in-law's a, a sheriff's deputy. He, eventually, it's going to happen. Uh, there's nothing to describe the feeling when someone is shooting at you in anger. And how do you respond to that? And if you've trained towards it and you've thought about it, then you'll have the courage to press on hmm. and do it. Hmm. The moral side is the same. If you think about situations where you've been and where you failed, because we never learn anything from our successes, I'm convinced. Mm. Where, where did I fail morally? We all have them. What could I have done better? And how would I have done it? And how do I exemplify that to my people? And if we're afraid as leaders to tell our people where we failed, then we're failing them. Mm. We are failing. So don't be afraid to talk about your failures. Don't be afraid to talk about your foibles. Um, fear is it's debilitating. So don't don't give in. Don't give in to your fears. Just move ahead. So I'm thinking immediately, you know, of uh, so you just talked about. You, you wouldn't shy away from telling the people that you're preparing, like, it's going to get hard. This is what battle's like. This is what combat's like. The words in my mind are the the countless occasions in the gospel when Jesus says to the apostles, all men are going to hate you mm-hmm. because of me. Like, Jesus isn't saying, hey, like, it's all going to be great. You know, I mean, like, it's worth just reminding ourselves that we are disciples of a God-made man who was nailed to a cross, so as someone said, that's hate, I, that's hate right? I, I should hardly expect the world to applaud if I'm following him. And But the other thing that you said was, uh, uh, you know, in my mind, I'm seeing what's it like to experience being shot at? And most of us aren't going to experience being shot at, please God. But 
certainly we're getting shot at verbally right now in the church. Oh, and there's a tremendous desire for some people to just like shoot right back, mm-hmm. you know, and so to, to prepare and to anticipate, of course, you know, uh, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness and if I'm persecuted for belonging to the gospel, uh, I should expect that's going to come my way. In expecting that's going to come my way, I have to make a determination right now. I will not respond in kind. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk amongst ourselves offline oftentimes. Uh, I, th- I think we feel a, uh, we feel a number of people uh, at times pressuring us to get into the fray right now. Like, why don't you guys say something really negative about, you know, this bishop or about uh, Pope Francis or about some political figure. It's like, you don't understand. We, we, we've, we're trying to live in such a way as to not react, but to respond. Well, I put it in fighter pilot ease or fighter guy ease is you don't wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. Well, there you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that one in mind. We might have to put that on our walls here, guys. <laughs> you know, like, we, we, we need to anticipate opposition coming, remembering, in our case, as disciples, right, that the enemy is the enemy. It's not, it's not the person who's attacking me or saying something. Our, our battle is against principalities and powers um, and, and the God of this age, as, uh, as he's called in the New Testament, which is the devil. And, and I myself was once in his possession, uh, unfortunately can all too willingly uh, surrender to his camp every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in my mind, if not worse. And uh, and so in this conflict that we're in as disciples uh, sent out by the Lord to get his world back uh, until he comes in glory, like we just have to remember there are certain weapons that we can use, goodness, love, truth, beauty, integrity, character, honor. Um, and there are certain weapons we cannot use, you know, um, that those things are just not available to us as Christians. So One of the things you accept as a military officer is there will be casualties. Hmm. We don't want them to happen. We do a lot to stave them off, but there will be casualties, and you or I could be one of them. Right. And we have to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't wrestle with the pig. Yeah. And, and I didn't pick up the, the, the weapons that I do not have access to. I always think of Jesus getting slapped, and, and like Jesus, you know, here, here's God getting slapped, right? He allows himself to be struck by a man that he created. Like, if that's me, I just zap you. You know, like, you're mm-hmm. gone. You're, you, you, I'm going to obliterate you, right? But Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he actually used it as an opportunity to, to try to bring conversion to the man. It's like, if I said something wrong, tell me what it was. If it wasn't, why'd you hit me? You know, like, I, in other words, like, God doesn't know certain forms of language and as a disciple especially right now with all the rhetoric and all the all the unrest we just have to be very careful that we don't imitate and sound like the world let me ask you one more question if i can uh, so we're going to talk tonight about uh, encouraging the guys to help them understand what are things that i can do as a leader um not that i, I should do but things that i do which perhaps unknowingly they actually demoralize the people that I lead. Yeah, I would say the number one thing is you have to be consistent. You have to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. You can't be afraid to do that, knowing full well that you're going to make people upset. Hmm. That you are in a position to do these things for a reason, and you need to do them, and it will be hard. So, for example, if you're the head of a corporation, 
you are responsible to your shareholders and you may have to lay people off. That's not pleasant, hmm. but it has to happen. It's the right thing to do at the time for the corporation. Or maybe the right thing to do is to keep them on and to reduce shareholder value. There, there, there's going to be obvious answers that you have to, they're probably going to be the really hard ones. So when we do and say things and then act in ways that are contrary to the things that we do or say or what we say we stand for and believe in, then we have lost all credibility and the morale in our organization will plummet. It will plummet. And now people are, they're out for themselves and we've lost that team spirit, that team guidance. And we've all worked in organizations like this. Uh, I, I'm sure that Nick and Mary have both done that and I'm sure you've probably worked throughout your life in parishes or um, different dioceses that maybe there was not a great leadership situation but it's it's devastating to morale and then we we just are never going to hit at our full stride we just can't so right in my mind immediately is the church. I mean, the McCarrick report just got re just got released uh, this week, actually a couple days ago as we're recording this, and there's a tremendous example of people who are just demoralized mm -hmm. uh, by the very thing that you just said. Let me ask you a, a question. When, I've, when I'm aware I've done that, when I'm aware I've, I've acted in a way that's not consistent, how can I recover trust? For all you parents out there, here's a good chance to listen. I made a, and make a lot of effort with my children when they were raised in the house. They're all gone now. To admit when I was wrong and say, I should not have done that. That was a mistake. I hope you'll forgive me and I won't do it again. Whether it was I yelled at them for the wrong reason or held them accountable. Same thing with, I try to do with my wife. Uh, I can be mercurial sometimes. No. Yeah, it's that Irish in me. You actually make mistakes every once in a while in your marriage? I do. Wow. Pretty sure I've never known a man who made a mistake with his wife. Wow. <laughs> so. Mary's kicking me right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder <laughs> trying to figure who's going to get hit. But I have occasionally spoken out of turn. and uh, But I, I try very hard to apologize and say I'm sorry and I'll do better and admit that I'm wrong. And it's okay to be wrong. Hmm. Um, we're human. And to recognize that humanity as long as we are truly sorry. So if I have in my command, I've done something wrong, I need to publicly let people know that what I did was incorrect. So whether it's a, a priest, a bishop, they should stand up, they should talk to the flock directly. People are not stupid in this age of communication nothing is hidden anymore you can't hide anything yeah and so it's easy for us to communicate which sort of goes back to when we talk about our brothers the priests supporting each other in the age of modern communication they can support each other so well yeah a text an email a phone call a skype a zoom just they don't even have to be in the same geographical region they can help each other out and say hey i preached on this how did you do and I'm really taking a flack for it. That's all right. I'm taking it too. Yep. I'm th or I'm thinking of a priest who hears about a guy who gave a homily. It's like, rather than just go, wow, that was a bold homily. I really love what he was doing. Um, you know, pick up the phone and go, hey, brother, I just want to encourage you. Thank you for that. Uh, that was inspiring to me. 
Thanks for being a witness of speaking the truth in love um, or a or a family, you know, a couple who hears a decision that they made for a child, you know, a difficult decision to, you know, not let them do something or to encourage them to do something. And they hear it, reach out to the family and go, hey, what you did was so inspiring and encouraging to me. It gave me confidence in being able to do something similar with my son or my daughter. I mean, all those things go a long way. I know as you're speaking, I'm thinking uh, this is a pet peeve of mine, perhaps, but I'm thinking of... Uh, of the abuse scandal right now and of uh, comments that I've seen from various bishops. And so I'm, I'm in this kind of bizarre uh, situation where I'm both a priest, so I, I feel a particular sense of pain and shame with what it is that's happened. I also have priest friends who've been falsely accused. I have some other priest friends who've been justly accused, and I'm a victim of sexual abuse. So I come at this from a lot of perspectives. But I, um, I'm sick and tired of people apologizing um, your apology doesn't help me. What I want you to do is to repent, yeah. you know, to repent to God and to repent to me and to ask me to forgive you. I mean, like, that's what we need yeah. I, in my mind. You know, it's, 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 it's a different thing to say, I'm sorry, because it could be, I'm sorry that I got caught. Most of the time it is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you know, and versus I repent, and repentance is a specifically Christian or Judeo-Christian uh, response. And so, Maybe one of the things I might just encourage people to do right now, uh, I've, I felt convicted probably a couple of years ago now uh, in, in the midst of my complaints and laments about uh, the Cardinal McCarrick or the former Cardinal McCarrick incident. I felt like Jesus just said to me, um, why aren't you praying for him every day? Because my desire is to, like, choke him, you know, yeah. uh, especially given what I went through. Um, but that's not a godly desire. <laughs> um what it's, human. I, it, it's human, but it's, it's fallen humanity. Um, I, I pray every day now. I'm not saying this to boast. I, I'm doing this because uh, the Lord's told me, like, I need to do this, and I want to invite everybody else to do it with me, to, to really consider praying every morning for uh, former Cardinal McCarrick by name, that God will move him to publicly repent before he dies, and to name every bishop that knew what he knew. What a tremendous yeah. gift that would be to so many people, to the church. Uh, to It's not going to compensate to those who've been abused by any means. I know that as a victim. Um, but I often think in my mind, uh, in the Old Testament, there was a, a man named King Manasseh, who was one of the wickedest kings of Israel, who institutes child sacrifice. And at the end of his life, he repents, and God forgives him. Um, McCarrick's going to die, and it's not going to be long from now. Uh, he's an old man, yeah. and uh, it will be a tragedy if he dies unrepentant, and it will be a great uh, gift uh, personally to him, uh, and it could be a great grace for the church if he will not say, I'm sorry, um, but repent for what it is that he's done. That could be a really healing moment for the church. So I just want to invite people, please, let's gather together. Let's do something with all this angst and anger and frustration. Let's turn it into a righteous anger and not a, a vengeful anger uh, on behalf of this man who right now uh, could desperately use our prayers. I can't fathom what it's like to be this man and go to bed every night well, with what he's done. Along with what you just said, and you think, and I always ponder this, as Christ is hanging on the cross, dying drop by drop, breath by breath. Father, forgive them, for they know what not they not what they do is how can he yeah do that you know, well, but blessed be not, he not. he did otherwise, otherwise we would all be toast yeah, right i mean absolutely. if i stand on my rights then god's going to stand on his with me and i really don't want that 
uh, quite frankly. So, brother, it's been uh, it's it's a joy to be with you. Uh, I, I want to thank you uh, in advance for your time with uh, with the priests tonight. Um, again, we just want to thank you on behalf of uh, of a grateful nation for your service. We promise you our prayers for you, for your wife, for your family, and um, thanks for the inspiring words on courage. There are so many opportunities right now in the country we're living in, in the culture we're living in, in the church. Uh, there is just countless opp- opportunity to be afraid and to feel overwhelmed and to give in to that. And so again and again, loud and clear, we just want to say to everybody, do not be afraid. Do not get overcome by fear. Do not let it overwhelm you because God is with you and you were born for this. 